And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I take a step back here as the Sixers have now crossed the quarter point of the season, and we talk about what has surprised us with the team, what concerns us the most, and what we're most looking forward to in the latter stages of the season. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Podner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. I don't want to talk too much about whatever thing we watched in in last night's game. I mean, I actually saw the... uh, Do you have a new uh, avatar on Twitter? I I do, I do. I am am a a unicorn, not the... (laughs) Not the Joel Embiid, Kristaps Cats, Porzingis style unicorn. Uh, Cat's just, a unicorn at, at messing with you. I've never seen anything like it. But yeah, not the Kristaps Porzingis or the Joel Embiid style unicorn, but more the uh, the emoji AR unicorn. It's a it's a good time, good time. That was so. I guess we'll we'll step back because people are probably confused. I'm confused how it happened. Tom Moore's confused how it happened. Tom Moore, legitimately the nicest person. You will ever meet on the beat back what feels like a hundred years ago when I was starting out. He showed me all the ropes to still to this day, one of the nicest people in the world. But apparently somehow he accidentally put a in a, a rather not serious, but like serious in terms of basketball serious, like an actual basketball answer from Seth Curry last night. He accidentally inserted a unicorn emoji into his tweet. Didn't realize it until it was posted. Didn't realize it until other people pointed it out to him. And now I'm a unicorn on Twitter. Uh, we'll probably be making unicorn references for quite a while because I have not laughed that hard in quite some time. It was the best moment of the night by a mile. And the Sixers won, but it was a terrible win. It was a moral loss instead of uh, instead of the opposite. We've been in process land for so long. The Sixers were terrible yeah. in that game for the most part. Yeah, and it was just an amazing moment, and I would like to thank Tom for making everybody laugh because it legitimately, was, uh, I, I have not laughed that hard in quite a while. Um, go to go to, I mean, go to my Twitter. I I quote tweeted it. You retweeted it because we couldn't we couldn't not. Um, there have been I think two times that I've laughed in the middle of a press conference during my career covering the Sixers. One, there was a hockey writer who accidentally made an unfortunate typo in one of his tweets. He talked about how a player only had two shits that period. Uh, and that, that tweet came through while I was in the middle of a press conference. And I definitely chuckled during that. And then there was last night and Andre Drummond came up after Tom had tweeted that. And after we were all still sort of like recovering and I'm sitting there, I'm trying to hold a straight face, scroll through my phone, see my notifications in my notifications are people commenting on Tom's tweet. And I, I couldn't help it. So Andre Drummond, if you a noticed us laughing, and be are listening to this podcast, which if those two are true, I'd be stunned. But if you are, nobody was laughing at you. It was about something that happened before you came to the podium. I apologize for our lack of professionalism. 
but it was uh it was funny. It was funny. Well, and the chit shots typo is unfortunate but understandable. It was That's unfortunate, one letter away. But that tweet was up there for like twenty five solid minutes before he figured it out. <laughs> and ever since then, whenever I write an article, control F shit, I make sure it's not up there. Because it is real easy to do. It's one of those that is not tough to do in our profession. But that is one I check every time I post an article. Every time. Well, that's good to know. But, I mean, the unicorn, I don't even know. I still don't know. You're you're more technologically advanced than I am. And I know Kyle Newbeck was showing everybody how Tom made that mistake. I mean, it was just wild. It was one of the best <laughs> things. And it's something that... uh. Look, it's something that we needed as a beat crew to, to get us through this season. You need that type of moment. So, uh, yeah, that was great. Okay. As far as the basketball is concerned, like I said, not uh, not great. There's a reason we spent the first four minutes of this podcast talking about a unicorn. It was a good thing they played pretty well for the first seven, eight minutes of the game. Yeah. Because they were pretty dreadful afterwards. And and to be clear, pretty well was like passable. Like they were up, what were they up, 13 at one point? And you're like, well, they're not playing great, but they're playing good enough to beat this team. Yeah, and the Magic, you know, they, I believe their record is 4-18. and 18. They sprung a couple wins on the Knicks, I believe. Look, I mean, it, Franz Wagner, he looks like a very good player down the road. Jalen Suggs played well, and then he got hurt. Bamba was blocking a lot of shots, but the Sixers just didn't care. And when you don't respect your opponent, you don't put that level of uh, focus, you turn a game that you should win by 20 points into a dicey one where you know it turns into a make-or-miss league down the stretch. Now, luckily, the Magic, they just missed uh, a lot of shots. Man, they are, they are really lucky Terrence Ross was hot garbage in that game because we'd be talking about one of the worst losses in a while, but yeah, I mean, make no mistake. The Sixers were they outside of Seth Curry. They were dreadful. I mean, Joel Embiid, one of the worst halves I've seen him play in the second half on both ends of the floor. Tyrese Maxey couldn't make a shot. Bad bench minutes. I guess Drummond was okay in the second half, but not I again, like, like I wrote in my piece today, the less we talk about that game, probably the, uh, the better. So what uh, last night was, wasn't a good basketball game. But it was a it was the quarter point of the season, so I think it is worthwhile taking a step back. And it's it's sort of strange to even evaluate this team because Joel Embiid has missed half of those twenty one games, just about, and he's missed ten out of twenty one. Ben Simmons has obviously missed all twenty one of the twenty one. Whatever the eventual return for Ben Simmons will be, has missed all twenty one of the twenty one. You've got Tobias Harris missing eight games. Uh, you've got a bunch of absences up and down that roster. Really, you've got you've had Tyrese Maxey and you've had Seth Curry, and those have been sort of like the two constants, and that's about it. That's about it. Uh, they did have their, the way I phrase it is they had their opening night starting lineup in uh, against the Magic there. Hasn't happened in quite, I think that was the first time it's happened in uh, November, and the reason I phrase it, of course, with the opening night starting lineup is because I don't know how to classify Ben Simmons. We talked about that last podcast. We still don't know how to classify Ben Simmons, but you do have a max salary slot just sitting there unused. So this is a team that is tough to evaluate. But when you take a step back, you know, they are the eighth seed right now, 11 and 10 on the season. You're talking about a team that right now has the eighth best offensive rating. I'm going according to basketball reference. We tend to use cleaning the glass a little bit more. In this one, basketball reference makes it real easy to look at, or at least 
it's just the tab I have up. So deal with it. Um, so the they're, they're eighth on cleaning. Okay, so the eighth ranked offense, the twenty first ranked defense. They are really good at protecting the basketball. Uh, they are really bad at rebounding. Yada 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 over a whole bunch more. What are they at? They're shooting 36% from three. That has come back a little bit. That's part of the reason why they are no longer the top-ranked offense. The other part of that reason is because Joel Embiid has missed 10 games out of 21. So, you take a step back. Like I said, I think this is a better than 500 team. But I don't know how much better. Are we talking about a 6 seed, a 7 seed, an 8 seed? Probably something in that range. But again, you when we talk about it, you don't know what it's going to look like here in two months. And that's the overriding factor in everything. So if you kind of look at the the chapters of this season, and I think we're already on the third chapter because of how this has played out. You know, you start, what was it, eight and two with that win over Chicago. And then you play nine games where it's impossible to win. I mean, it's, it's process level. They, uh, it was a good thing. They banked all those early wins against an easy schedule because over these next nine games, I mean, what were they? Two and seven, I believe, yeah. in that stretch, which honestly, combined with how competitive they were in some of the other games, probably the best you could ask for when it uh, when it comes to that. Now that they have, like you said, their, their full fake starting lineup now, or however you phrase that, I have two questions about this team moving forward. Number one, now that you have Joel Embiid and Matisse Dybel, he missed time due to COVID as well, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, who's... Uh, they're bringing back slowly. They're uh, they're worried about what minutes twenty to twenty five will will do to his old man uh, hamstrings, which, by the way, I think is a uh, not the worst thing to do moving forward. I, I have two questions with those guys. How much does the defense stabilize? Because it was ugly there for a minute during the uh, West Coast trip, but you kind of just had to shrug and say, like, it's not like Dan Burke got dumber. You know, they just don't sure. have the personnel to compete anymore. Andre Drummond is not going to be the anchor of a top 10 defense. It's okay. But what were so, they, what were they before Embiid went out? Like they were in like a 14 to 16 range, weren't they? They were. Yeah, they were down, down lower. Actually cleaning the glass now has them as the 17th, uh, best defense. So they, they are, they are moving up. I think if, if you look at the on off, Orlando couldn't shoot. Well, I mean, hey, look, the other teams get to play Orlando. (laughs) So I think when you look at uh, when you look at Embiid's on off numbers, because that's how I would kind of judge it compared to last year. Their defense is a little bit worse statistically than uh, than in past seasons comparatively. Like when he is on the court, they're still a very good defense, but it's it's 85th percentile right now. And that might be the difference with Ben Simmons not there, right? Like going from kind of a 90th percentile defense. Look, it's still a major improvement. The defense falls apart when he's off the floor, yada, yada, yada. But but they're not quite at that elite level. And some of that might be Joel not rebounding at the, uh, the team, not rebounding at the same level. And with to your him point, last year, they were the 92nd percentile with him beat on the floor. So, yeah. So, and I think that makes sense, right? When you look at replacing Simmons with Tyrese Maxey on the defensive end, downgrade right there. Um, so, so I think you can expect them to be a little bit worse. I mean, they were like a top three defense a season ago. I actually think 
they got off to a little bit of a rough start defensively and a, and a very good start offensively. I think this can be, if Embiid stays healthy, right around 9 to 11 or something like that defensively. I, I think they have the talent to just get better on that end and, and execute the scheme a little bit better. But, you know, it, as we say a lot, when you're not getting anything from an all-defense level guard, when, when you're getting just nothing and you're just willingly saying, we're not trading him, we're not doing anything, this is where you see a little bit of the slippage on uh, on that end of the court. But I, I do think um, that's going to get better with with all of these guys healthier. Like I, I do think the defense is going to stabilize, and you've seen the offense take a hit because they can't make a shot over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. No, I think I think that's right. I don't think they're going to be a top, a bottom 10 defense. Uh, I think they'll be a, an above average defense. I think Joel Embiid individually is just that good. Yeah. But I don't think they're going to be a top two, top three kind of defense with the no. personnel that they have. I mean, the maxi Seth Curry backcourt is just such a bad starting point. Most of the people you're bringing off the bench are not plus defenders or even close to it. All of your plus defenders, hell, you can even include Ben Simmons in that mix, are one-way players. Uh, you saw against the Timberwolves how Matisse Thibel can be tough to play offensively at times. So there's just not against the Magic too. Yeah, yeah. Especially against the Timberwolves, though, they seem to double off of him real aggressively. But it it, it is going to be tough to construct. I mean, they veered pretty heavily towards one side of the basketball. Uh, it's for the most part worked. I think it's what you have to do around Joel Embiid. But there is major concerns on that end. Not to be again. I I expect them to get into. I think you're right in that top ten ish range. But I do like getting into the league's elite and probably more specifically getting into one that can compete at an elite level in the playoffs does concern me. And that probably does factor into what you then do with the eventual Ben Simmons trade and, you know, what you're targeting a big wing who can defend multiple positions, make an open shot. Gosh, it would just be nice to get, um, especially as Danny Green is a little less reliable, both in terms of his availability, but also in terms of what he can give you on the court. Uh, it would be great to get like a, an actual two-way player on his team. That would be swell. And it's funny because they probably need Danny Green to play like 26, 27 minutes a game right now, but they have a minutes limit on him. Um, despite that, like he's getting beat pretty handily by guys like Franz Wagner, which is, you know, it's kind of where they're at. Like you said, even there, he's technically one of their two-way guys, but he's not like great on either end of the floor. There, I uh, I think your point on Thibel is is a good one, and he's. It, it's funny, like when you hear somebody, like a like a basketball podcast or a writer, when they call somebody a tricky fit, that's just code for he can't shoot. <laughs> yeah, in this day and age, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And and I thought you know he had a couple and Matisse of. Matisse is a very tricky fit. Yes, yeah. he is a tricky fit. I thought he had a couple of good offensive games, you know, against Sacramento, against Portland when he came back. But it's it's the stuff that Doc talks about all the time. We need to get him cutting. We need to get him out in transition. Those aren't sustainable sources of offense. Like, if he's not making his threes, if he's not taking them, if he's not making good decisions with the basketball, and by the way, he's not doing any of those things. His turnovers are up. His, uh, his three-point volume is down. He's shooting 30 two percent on those threes he's a liability on that end of the court he still is and you're going to have to play him because the defense is that important but that's that's an issue um 
Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a broader question about this team so far. What, what do you think of the job that Doc has done through the first 21 games of this season? It's tough because so much has been like, you don't even know what his, his, I mean, I think for the most part, their problems right now aren't scheme related. Now I have my concerns in the playoffs, but I, I mean, I by and large think Doc does a good job in the regular season, making do with what he has. I, I think Doc is like, if you ask me with all the games that they've missed in the talent that they have, what would their record be? I think they're probably right around where I would expect. So I'd give Doc like a B minus or a C. Somewhere in that range? I think I'd go higher. I, okay. I would go with the B. I mean, some of those wins, Sacramento, Portland, those are games they have no business really competing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just think he's been placed under like really difficult circumstances. And when I hear a lot of complaining online, like, look, I, I agree with you. I, I have my concerns about Doc for the playoffs. Those are, I, I think, pretty well-founded. But right now, what, what what are we talking about here? Like he's winning a few games with no starters available. Yeah, he is. I mean, this team got hit harder by COVID than anybody in the league. And by the way, let's see what Embiid looks like. You know, moving forward right now. I mean, I know he had that huge game against Minnesota to start. He was dreadful last night. Yeah. Like this is something that has caused a lot of guys to uh, to struggle coming back from. And we know that. Uh, that he was symptomatic. And uh, as he said, that John hit him hard, pandering to the, it didn't stop him from uh, getting his Philly vocabulary yeah, down, yeah. His, uh, his lingo. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's something to be, look, I, I I think there's a good chance MB just had a tough game last night and he, he didn't have energy because they were playing the Magic in November, which right. is somewhat understandable. But that's something to look at moving forward. Yeah. So, so to get to the overall point with Doc, I don't know, man. I actually think he's done a decent job with this crew. Like Maxie's coming along. I feel like he is he has played well in those uh in those difficult settings where he's kind of turned the keys over to Maxie. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how he can bring Maxie and Embiid together because yep. as I wrote about today, that's kind of the next step for Maxie. Like, okay, you have proven that you are pretty exciting, pretty awesome player when you have the the keys to the whole offense. What happens when you play with this guy who rightfully needs the ball a bunch and is a uh, a low post player? But yeah, I like look. I'm not uh, I'm not giving Doc any Coach of the Year votes, but but I do think he's done a good job considering the dire circumstances that they've had. I mean, this is uh, the past couple of weeks they've had is brutal. Like like that's not something you should do well with as a coach. And he didn't do well with it, but he didn't get absolutely killed either. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. No, and I mean, like, part of fandom is is just absolutely dying with the ups and downs. But I think when they were eight and two, you said, "All right, they're playing well, but they're probably not as good as a record." When they lost, what what have they gone three and eight in their last eleven? And you go, "All right, yeah. they're not this bad. This this will pass as well." Uh, I think Doc has kept them for the most part. The second half of that game, um, notwithstanding, I think they've mostly played hard. Uh, it's tough when you're missing all five starters. You know, um, no, I, Doc's been fine. It's also tough, too, when, like, some of the decisions that are frustrating me, like, I thought he played Drummond way too long in the Golden State game. All right, they're going to lose to Golden State when they don't have 
all of these sure. guys. And you could say the same thing about Utah. Like they're they're losing that game no matter what Doc does. They're, they're going to lose. And I mean, the the guy I want them to put in is George Niang, who's playing a billion minutes and is like just should not be playing this much. You know, do they go to this comically small lineup? Do they go to Charles Bassey? Do they go to B-Ball Paul, who can't make a shot to save his life and is on the Lorenzo Brown uh, I-95 plan right now? I don't know. They, they are going to lose those games regardless. So I have, yeah, it's, I have by the way, I have fully embraced B-Ball as his first name. Sure. Just, he's, he should, he's, he's B-Ball from now on. Should get it changed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it's. It's like you said, it's it's kind of hard to have a grasp on this team. Like, they are going to get better defensively with all of these guys. The question is just, like, how much better can they get? And that's kind of the difference, like you said, between, what, the eighth seed and the fifth seed or something like that, you know? So, uh, I, I do, I think this team, if they can stay relatively healthy, I know they have struggled the last couple of nights, but if they can just stay healthy for a little while here, Tough schedule coming up, but like I, I do think this is an above average team for sure. When they get when yeah. they have everybody, I think I think some people are probably looking at them and and frustrated that they're not competing for that top seed, that they have fallen from that top seed because they held it there at the beginning of the season. But I think when you take a step back, I look. I thought they were a six ish seed, six to eight seed, eh, maybe five to seven seed coming into the season until they resolved the Ben Simmons situation. I pretty much think they are a five through eight seed right now. Um, I, I think that is, it's, it's a flawed team that there's still a move or two to make uh, and combine that with all the absences they've had. And look, hopefully you hate to try, say there's a, something good to come out from getting COVID, but like they should be pretty good in terms of not missing games because of COVID here in the second half of the season, at least from their star players. Um, they should be hopefully a little better with the injury luck and they will be a better team here. I think, in the second and third quarters of the season. And hopefully then that fourth quarter when they've resolved the Ben Simmons situation, because I don't think ultimately this is going to be a multi-year thing. I think that's largely posturing, but you get that resolved. You have your, your lineup back a little more frequently. You give Embiid and Maxi a chance to develop some kind of chemistry. You get everybody on the same page. They should be playing at a higher level to end the season. This has just been a tough stretch to get through. So what do you think the key is there? Because I think that's probably the next area I want to look at moving forward. Maxi on that road trip, I, I was blown away with how he played. Like really tough circumstances. And he just was relentless getting the basket, but he was the guy. And, and I do think like there is a little bit of an issue with him. You know, you maybe with Doc, they, they all have to figure it out. When he plays with Joel Embiid and with Tobias Harris and Seth Curry to an extent as well, how does the the scoring guard continue to play with that sure. level of effectiveness? Because so with with Embiid on the floor, Maxi team offensive rating one hundred seven point seven. When he's off the floor, that goes up to one thirteen point eight. His scoring way up goes from thirteen point three to twenty one point six with him off. Efficiency skyrockets as well. Look, I mean, some of that might just be his three pointer was off in last night's game, and in some of those West Coast games. The three-pointer was on. He is uh, he is still taking pretty good care of the ball. His floor game is at a high level. But I think the Sixers need him to figure out a way to be that type of scorer. Now, I, I wonder, like, is part of the solution 
Doc, I know you like the all bench units, but maybe just play Maxi with the yeah. with the bench group. Like, I think that still, is part of the solution for sure. Still start him. I, I think he deserves to be the nominal starter. He deserves to uh, close games as well with Embiid. Of course, I mean he's he's one of your best players. But yeah, staggering them a little more is something I would do. But what I guess what what do you see as kind of like the on court key to f- that pairing working better? Well. I think you're right. Like, I think, first of all, staggering, start the first quarter, end the first half, start the third quarter, end the game. Make that 18, 20 minutes. Give him 10 to 15 minutes playing without Joel. Let him, give him the keys to the offense. I think that is definitely a thing. That should be done a little more aggressively. It's tough, because right now he's not comfortable as an off-ball player. And he's not, and Joel's not comfortable as a roller, either. And I thought down the stretch there against the, um, against the Wolves, I thought, Maxi was deferring quite a bit, which you get, like you're playing alongside Joel Embiid. But I would like to have seen him attack a little bit more aggressively off of that pick and pop with Joel. And I think they need to work on that a little bit more. He's got to become a more confident, more capable catch and shoot shooter. Because once he does that and he gets people closing out on him, he's so quick, he's going to get in the paint. He can start creating a lot more when Joel Embiid is posting up. Because when the ball is swung to him, he can do more with it. He, I think that is a, a pretty big key. And just, I mean, that pick and roll tandem, like they need to just figure each other out. Joel Embiid has always required a little bit of time with his, his perimeter options to get truly comfortable with them. You see that mostly with, you know, J.J. Redick and Seth Curry. But now you're seeing it with Tyrese Maxey. Joel Embiid's a little particular in where he wants that ball coming off of that pick and roll. And I think they've got to figure each other out and figure out how to use their their gravity, their individual gravity, a little more effectively. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You saw that in last night's game, too. There there was a possession where they ran the Iverson thing for Seth, and Joel, he just really, he's starting to get that that connection with him, that J.J. Redick second year, just knowing where Seth is going to cut and getting him the ball. Yeah, it, some of it is just going to take time. And uh, yeah, it, it's true, too, that Joel is not the, he's not like the turbocharged pick-and-roll player. He's not the guy you want to put the guy like Maxi who could just get to the rim as fast as possible. It's not the easiest fit in the world for him. And like you said, not the greatest roller in the world. So they're going to have to figure out the uh, the chemistry between them there. But I do think Embiid as a popper, whether that's to the free throw line on the short roll or all the way back to the three-point line, still has some gravity. So um, he and, would have uh, a lot more. Like I think he would benefit Tyrese Maxey a lot more if he was comfortable rolling, though. Yeah. Because, well, I mean... He you does, come off but... of a, an Embiid Maxi pick and roll, like teams will follow Maxi because, quite frankly, they just think they can recover back out to Joel Embiid. He takes a while. Teams are still willing to give him that shot out of the three point line a little bit 
if he was truly a dangerous threat as a roller, I do think that would open up Maxi's uh, individual scoring a little bit more. But he's just not comfortable doing that never at a high been. volume. Yep, never been. He can do it once in a while because he's really good and people just bounce off of him on some of these slow drives. But it's not it's not Amari Stoudemire in his prime, you know, getting lost no. from Steve Nash. It's not Tyson Chandler, you know. It's like he's it's it's one of Joel's bigger weaknesses. I, I still think Maxi though, as far as a playmaker, you know, we, we have talked about, you know, wh- whether he needs to make uh, riskier passes. This is not that. This is just getting some chemistry and knowing where Joel is going to be. He is plenty capable of running this uh, this two-man game with him. So, yeah, it's it's something that's going to take a little bit of time. It certainly has looked a little bit awkward in the first two games back. But now that Maxi has established himself as like, okay, I am a, a real piece on this team, it, it's one of the more exciting things you have as a fan to look forward to. I... I Look forward to seeing them grow this partnership. And like you said, yeah, would Maxi probably benefit a little bit better with a uh, a roller? Yeah, I mean, you've seen it with like Charles Bassey. He's like yep. a better lob catcher than Embiid, right? He can make those passes pretty easily. He was pretty good with Dwight. But I think both of these guys are too talented to not figure out some level of uh, of a partnership. And the good news for Maxi is the offense does not have to be, what did I say, like 113.8 without Embiid. Because yeah. guess what? When Embiid starts playing, your defense is way fucking better. So that's, uh, yeah, that that's what they have to look forward to over the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's, it's, really have to emphasize how early days it is, these two playing together. Because last year when Tyrese Maxi was playing, he was leading a lot of bench bob units, a lot of time without Joel Embiid on the court. You know, when Joel Embiid missed 10 games, and that's when Tyrese Maxey really took off. So as Tyrese Maxey as a focal point of an offense, we're really in the first couple days, um, first couple games of them trying to figure that out. It is something that I do expect to get better here over the next couple of months. It is one of the reasons why I think it'll be great to drag this Benz. I, I say that. There's not a whole lot great about dragging the Ben Simmons situation out, but you will get another two months of watching Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey try to form a partnership and you can figure out what you need to get back in that trade. I expect them to get better. Um, but yeah, I, yeah they just, I also, all they did was play 200 minutes last year. I mean, that's not a yeah, lot. That's so. barely any, especially when you're talking about a rookie who didn't have a summer league, who's coming in um, pretty much cold. I mean, like, look, it's, it's, it's about Maxey and Embiid right now. It is a little, it's a little frustrating that it's Maxey and Embiid and you're just like, Oh yeah, Tobias is there as well. He'll just score twenty points per game on blah efficiency, and, and that's the where they're at. And, yep. He had a funny one last night. Did you see uh, the reaction Doc had when he didn't shoot a three in crunch time? No. He got one of those slot, kind of those slot kicks where uh, where the defense helps on a drive at the uh, at the nail, and he passed it up for a contested two which was not great. He, uh, and, going and back, got I mentioned that. Yeah, he did. Cause doc, doc it's, kind it's, of excuses that quite a bit. It's weird. He excuses it, but he also was like, make quick decisions. And it's a quick decision to, is three. A lot of times. I know, I know. Or, or a drive all the way to the basket. And it was weird because doc kept calling these ISOs against Covington and Portland. And it was like, why are you calling them? Tobias is incapable of, making a quick decision on that. I, I get it. Cub is slow. Like you think Tobias should be able to cook him one-on-one. It's just not happening though. So you might as well get. And you look at know. Tobias and look, Tobias is having a 
solid Tobias year. But when you look at it, you know, you look at his three-point rate. And I think since he broke out basically as a, a legitimate scoring threat, these are like the two lowest three-point rate seasons of his career since he really broke out as an impact player. Um, or at least as a, a borderline sub-all-star level player. So, yeah, I'd love to see Doc encourage him, get on him about shooting more threes. Um, I think that will lead to quicker decisions. I also get that when Brett Brown and that staff tried to do it, it didn't exactly bring out the best version of Tobias, so maybe you're scared a little bit of it. But Tobias has, for a player who is first five, six, seven years in his career, pretty much improved every year like clockwork. He's definitely stagnated here over the last couple. Yeah. But hey, like, look, as, as many problems as we're talking about, at least uh, D'Angelo Russell after the game was talking shit and saying that it was, uh, it was sweet. The Sixers thought it would be sweet for Embiid to come back and play against them when really it was just like he had COVID for a few weeks and uh, they were coming back from a West Coast trip. So why would they send him out there? Right, right. There, there still is a, uh, I mean, but I think that Minnesota game is is like a point where it just feels like the league is more competitive this season. Like there are just, I'm not sure there are as many great teams this year, but there are more average teams where there's just not a lot of easy wins, which makes the tough game against Orlando last night. Like that, that should be an easy win. There just, there aren't quite as many of them. This, uh, this December schedule is not like the easiest thing I've ever seen in my life. No. There's just not, there's not a lot of bad teams in there. And look, they'll get to play more home games, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge and they're, they're going to need to play better than they have over the past couple of the nights. I, I expect their play to improve just because yeah. there's a lot of rust and a lot of uh, integrating faces that have just been sick or out for, for a while. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to get harder here for, for a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's the thing with this team. It's just, but Ben Simmons is on ice the whole time. I guess Ben Simmons isn't on ice. He's taking shots in the Wells Fargo center before the game, he not is. during the game. No. Um, yeah, whatever. Not even going to talk about the one jumper that made its way to, what was it, posted to Twitter? Reddit? Like, I forget. I think it was on Twitter. Some some security guard or somebody caught a jumper from Ben Simmons at the Wells Fargo Center. Who freaking cares? Who cares? But yeah, it is. You, I mean, you brought it up how it, you pretty much had three segments here in the season. You had to start, uh, which was great. You were sort of like getting everything acclimated. Then you had Embiid out for a while. Now you're trying to reintegrate Embiid back into a uh, Tyrese Maxey centered, not centered because you've got Embiid back, but uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey in a very different role than he was before. Um, I'm really interested in seeing over the next month, month and a half, two months, how they uh, how they play. But has been has been difficult to evaluate. Um, all right, so let's move on. Sort of wrap this up with three questions. What's your biggest takeaway so far from the first 21 games? your biggest surprise, and your biggest concern, which we've probably already touched on all three of these to a degree, but just get them out there. I would say takeaway and surprise are probably the same thing, right? I think that's probably Maxi, where I think me and you were more conservative than a lot of people on Maxi heading into the season, and he has exceeded those expectations. He has proven himself like, hey, I, I am a real player. I'm a real player at 21 years old. And I have, I'm a guy that could potentially change the fortunes of this franchise, maybe not all the way to championship level, but I certainly improved them. And, uh, you know, I think if, if you want to make another aspect of it, like 
the way that the offense played early on, now some of that was Seth Curry was completely on fire. Korkmaz wasn't just barfing up shots. He was like making some once in a while. But but it looks like a better offense than um, than maybe we expected. It's it's a little bit more of a balanced team. So that would be my main um, my main takeaway. I, I would say the biggest worry moving forward. It, it's just like the lack of size that they have. It, it, it probably before that was the lack of creation, and that still is a little bit of a problem. But Maxi at least makes that a little bit better if he's if he's playing at a high level. I just look at these guys, and I mean, they're 25th in rebounding right now, and that does not feel like a mistake at all, despite the fact that they employ Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond. And I look at just some of the matchups they have to play on the perimeter where you have like George Niang guarding like high-scoring wings because who else are you going to put on them? You have, I don't know. So yeah, I would say kind of the overall lack of size and athleticism on the wings outside of Matisse Thybul, who who gives you offensive problems, the, the one-way players, that's my biggest concern moving forward. I, I, again, I, I do think they can fit these pieces together to create an above-average team as long as JoJo gets back to his normal level. And let's be real, like he has been a little bit worse offensively to start the season. His touch has not been there. He's still getting fouled quite a bit. It doesn't seem like those rules are really affecting him all that much. But yeah, it's not as balanced of a team if you're looking for like the the league's elite yeah um i think that's mostly it certainly in terms of surprise i'm actually i was thinking of just not allowing him because he's a little too obvious but he's far and away the the biggest takeaway and the biggest surprise he is a a a piece um he you know is there a world where possibly he could be coming off the bench because you acquire a really good scoring guard who couldn't play with him defensively yeah you could see him um but i think that would even if that would happen he is a very significant piece of your future, of your current, of your present, uh, and of your hopes of winning a championship. Uh, by far the biggest takeaway, biggest surprise as well, even though I think a lot of people had high expectations or high hopes for him, for him to realize that so quickly, and even just in-season improvement, uh, like the way he's gotten the free throw line here. And look, over the last five games, he's he's his shot has gone away here over the last, I want to say, three or so. I uh, had a couple of, of, of rough nights shooting the ball. But he's been getting the free throw line, 7.2 free throw attempts per game over the last five games. I don't think that's a, a, a fluke per se. I do think he's done a better job of leaning a shoulder into a guy, keeping the ball he's, away, seeking out the contact. I think he's certainly made an effort to do that. Now, does that mean I think he's going to be an elite foul drawer? No, but I think if he's going to make progress towards becoming good enough at it, uh, that's a very intriguing thing for me. Uh, and I think he's, I mean, his year over year improvement was staggering. His seemingly game over game improvement has been encouraging. Um, yeah, by far the biggest takeaway. By far, by far. He's better at attacking the hip of that defender that's retreating, yeah, and drawing contact and then getting that shot up. Now he still doesn't always get the call. There was a play late in that game against Orlando last night. I thought it was an obvious foul that he drew, where he flew all the way to the basket and uh, and drew contact and he didn't get the call. But I thought like more times than not that is a positive development. You are going to be shooting free throws. And yeah, I mean, he's a big part of, you know, we talk about the good offense, 13.2 turnover percentage. When you put the ball in Maxie's hands, like you're not, you're not going to get the ball away. Yeah. Um, and look, the, you know, we worried a little bit about early on, does this team get to the free throw line? I'm not as worried about that anymore, especially if MB starts playing. They, yeah. They do get to the free throw line a decent amount. Um, 
I certainly don't think the rules affect him as much as some of these other guys. Um, yeah. So, and, and like when, when I talk about the biggest worry where, you know, the, the lack of athleticism on the wings, well, that's why they're not going to win a title with this group. But we knew that already. So, no, I, I think for, for the most part, it's been a two, uh, two expectation start almost outside of Maxi, where it's like, you know, this team is, they have good shooting around Embiid. They're a decent offensive team. They're they're a little worse defensively without Ben Simmons, but Maxi really is the main surprise. Yeah, I will say though when I talk about the biggest concern for me, it is. I mean, you said size, and I hundred percent agree with that. But for me, it's the size of Maxi and Curry, just because they're both so instrumental in what they do. And look, Curry's been phenomenal this year. That trade was an incredible stroke for the Sixers. Um, he is one of the better fits Joel Embiid has had in his career. But also you combine that with Maxi, who's now so integral to the Sixers' future and reaching their, their upside. Having both of them be so important to the team, it's tough to play them alongside each other. And when you look at, and this really shows you how good Joel Embiid is defensively, but those two, Maxi and Curry, have played 473 possessions together, according to Clean Glass, without Joel Embiid on the floor. They're... Take a guess on their percentile in defensive rating. I don't think it's getting to double digits. <laughs> no, it's not. Sixth. 117.6 points per 100 possessions they allow with Maxi and Curry on the floor without Joel Embiid. Now, if you flip that over and say, what do they average with Joel Embiid on the floor? 86 percentile, 103.4 points per 100 given up in 595 possessions, both relatively decent sample size. So Joel Embiid has so much on his shoulders in keeping this team together defensively, keeping them competitive, because they have a lot of poor defensive personnel, poor defensive fits. And look, can you get through a regular season as long as Joel Embiid's on the court making this tenable? Yeah. Like they will, we both said it, they'll probably be right around, if not top 10, right in that range. I do worry in the playoffs, good teams, you know, not that Brad Stevens is coaching, but like Brad Stevens a couple of years ago, and I'm sure Ime now would just be salivating at the chance to post up the Sixers backcourt. Joel Embiid, good at basketball. <laughs> He's very good at basketball. Very good at basketball. But yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, like, I think a lot of people, like we said, three and eight here over the last 11. A lot of people probably a little bit discouraged by that. Certainly, I think in terms of interest around the team, it's, it's lower than it was a couple weeks yeah. ago. But I'm relatively intrigued because I want to see what these two and Embiid and and Maxi can become together, and how he Maxi can continue to grow, how that pairing can continue to grow. We haven't really had a whole lot of young dynamic partnerships with Joel Embiid to look forward to. I think you now have one. I think you now have one. He's so critical, Maxi, for the team's long term outlook, but he's even more critical for their short term watchability. Mm -hmm. you know, this would not be the most exciting watch in the league, even if Embiid was healthy if he was not making the type of strides that we've seen. And frankly, like even if he had a, like a more boring playing style, like, he's just fun to watch. So uh, yeah, definitely excited to, to watch that play out over the next month. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to get a, get to see him uh, spread his wings here. It is funny. I, uh, I follow Rich Paul on Instagram and okay. he, uh, in his stories, he, he posts like when all of his clutch clients have a good game. He's like, you know, uh, 
Draymond Green and he'll like post his stat line or whatever. It's funny that when he posts the Tyrese Maxey uh, the stat line after all of his good games as well sure. in this uh, in this story. No, no Ben Simmons stat lines though. No, and I haven't seen that yet. Two are a little bit related there, a little bit connected. Yeah. All right, we have the uh, the Celtics here coming up in Boston on Wednesday, then Atlanta, then two in Charlotte. Before you get sort of like, I mean, this this, this road stretch here where they have what ten out of twelve games here away from the Wells Fargo Center. Tough on a team. See what they do. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.